This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. To my right, that is the one, the only Jack Foster, and across the table, that is Ryan Shumpert. Today is Thursday, February 8th. It's just a couple ticks past 10 a.m. as we are back here on Tennessee's campus as things continue to roll. Gentlemen, good morning, and how are y'all doing? Doing well. It's uh, been all of eh, nine and a half hours since we were... (laughs) Since we were here covering Tennessee LSU, so glad to be back and got some football stuff to talk about and certainly a lot of basketball as we hit the midway point in SEC play. Yeah, no doubt about it. it that, that was a late night. Maybe not as late as they had in Auburn, though. Something like Ooh. 60 combined penal, uh, fouls in that game. Just a whistle factory in Especially Auburn's arena. too. Say that? But it's always more annoying when it's one-sided, too. You know. Yeah, it had, I mean, obviously we didn't the watch. Game yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, Auburn blew him out. Yeah. Obviously, we didn't watch because we were at the Tennessee LSU game, but did seem to have some similar vibes of Tennessee-Kentucky on Saturday. We're just like, oh, my gosh, this game this, this game will not end. And it was yeah. ended <laughs> from, the, I think, like, the first half, because the game starts at the same time, Tennessee-LSU and Auburn-Alabama. And the first half, like, went about the same. I mean, Tennessee first half probably ended a little bit earlier, but it all matched up pretty well. And then the Tennessee game ended – and got the quick takeaway story up, walked into the media room, and it was like, is the Alabama game over yet? Because, again, at that point, Auburn kind of opened it up, so I wasn't paying as close of attention. And it was like, no, there's seven minutes left in the game. I was like, oh, my gosh, how slow has this second half been going? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was. We were. It was certainly a topic of conversation there in the media room after the game. Jack, how are you doing, my friend? What's new? Man, I am fired up. I am ready for wow. the Super Bowl. Here we go. I'm so excited. I have not been more excited for a Super Bowl since Peyton Manning's last game ever because I knew that was going to be his last game, and I felt very confident the Broncos would win, and I was so pumped for that. But, yeah, this is the most excited I've been for a Super Bowl, and I realize that is a very hot take. Not many people feel that way. I was going to ask you why you felt like that. The consensus is America lost with Baltimore and Detroit losing. And and I get it, but my dad's a diehard Niners fan, so I'm going home. I'm confident in San Francisco's chances. This reminds me of Super Bowl 52 with Foles versus Brady a lot. So uh, hopefully it's the same result and uh, I can witness a Niners Super Bowl win. Yeah, I don't think I have like the lethargicness towards the matchup that some people do. I don't really hate either team. I actually like the 49ers a good bit, and I don't know. The Patrick Mahomes' family is really annoying. It kind of says a lot about Patrick Mahomes' Patrick Mahomes' family that his dad has three DUIs and he's like the most likable person <laughs> in his family. Yeah. yeah. But I'm but also, also a ta- I'm I'm a, I'm a Swifty, so I'm not a Taylor Swift hater. That is true. Yeah, you you know, are. A lot of people are, and yeah, there's a lot of thing that things that boggles the mind about why people hate the Chiefs. To me, I never really get it, but yeah. Fired up for Sunday, and it is funny. I, like I like I like Patrick. This season is the first time I've been annoyed by Patrick Mahomes with how much he complained, he complained about the refs. About calls. That's fair. especially in the Buffalo yeah. game. But as a whole, I still like like him. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I it's uh, I've been joking that it's very good for my it's a very good game for my narratives because I can start pushing the Patrick Mahomes is better than Tom Brady with another <laughs> Super Bowl, further pushing it, and then on the other side of it, I mean, I like the 49ers. Obviously, I always like like watching Juwan, and then I got. 
Brock Purdy in a uh, dynasty league in fantasy football. So he gets a lot of so hate. Like he gets a lot time. of slander. Uh, unnecessary slander. A lot of unnecessary slander. Only oh, He gets a lot of slander because for a week, a bunch of people said he should win the MVP, which was a little ridiculous. I'll give you that. Uh, but that's like the only thing that isn't likable about him. Right. So yeah. People yeah, hyped him up I, a little too much for a week. I cannot understand why people don't like him. If he was a first-round pick, I think no one would have qualms. But like some reason, since he's Mr. Irrelevant, he gets hate. I don't really get it. Uh, real quick, just because you said it, speaking of narratives, I, I'm just going to say this here, one line, because I don't want to tweet it out, but <laughs> announcing an album at an award show in a very targeted effort, very unlikable move. I, I think from any, any, any celebrity out there, I just think it's an unlikable move. I think but it's... What are the reasons it's bad? It's just a little self-centered. It's at an award show. I mean, I know you're, you're getting. No, you're getting the award. Accepted the award. I know, but it's it's like a, it's an award yeah. show. I don't know. I I think it's an unlikable. The move. only thing I didn't like about it is I'm a bigger. I like Taylor Swift. I'm a bigger Casey Musgraves fan, and she had announced an album earlier in the award show. And I didn't like Taylor kind of stepping on her toes a little oh, bit, wow. still a little bit. See, of if everybody's light. doing it, we have no control over these things. Granted. I haven't watched a Grammys award show in years. Yeah. I, mean, I, I didn't say, watch it either. I, I'm, okay. I'm speaking from highlights and, and, <laughs> and conversation I've heard. Uh, but at least that's my opinion. Uh, one last thing in the Super Bowl. Juwan Jennings had a, had a good video. We'll, we'll have it up on RocketTopInsta.com probably as soon as you're listening to this. But uh, he had a great little message at the media day. He said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm representing the state of Tennessee. I'm representing my, my home state, my, my college team, Tennessee. Um, so he's bringing the bringing the championship back home to Tennessee. So certainly a little rooting interest there for uh, for Vol fans on both sides in the game. Juwan Jennings with the Niners and Trey Smith with the Chiefs. Um, I believe if Juwan Jennings and the Niners win, Jennings will be the 36th Tennessee player to win a Super Bowl on their first ever appearance. Hmm. Uh, Tennessee also has the second most uh, Super Bowl winning players of all time. Uh, so I guess they can add to that with Juwan Jennings. But most recently, Trey Smith did that last year with the Chiefs. So just a couple little tidbits for you there. And, of course, more on RockyTopInsider.com. Yeah. Um, and Juwan Jennings, I've you know consumed a lot of Super Bowl media content in the past week leading up to the game. He's starting to get more depth, too, uh, since his performances in the playoffs so far. Yeah, definitely that, he's made, so. that Packers game, I feel like he was getting a lot of a lot of buzz after yeah. that. And he's been making plays for three years. So it's, Jennings? Yeah. yeah. He had six catches against the Packers, I think, uh, those big ones. And only one catch against the Lions, but... But it was I mean, that alley-oop that yeah. Purdy threw. Yeah, it was. And and he's <laughs> also... Purdy play. He's, a, he's kind of a Brew McCoy type. Like, he's kind of also another offensive lineman for the, yeah. for yeah. the Niners, especially in the run game, so... You know, offensive linemen don't pick up stats. Neither does Juwan Jennings in that case. But uh, he's such a valuable player to the team. Uh, I'm cheering for the Niners, unfortunately, coming up this weekend. All right, so we got a little bit of football uh, to talk about with the uh, – we talked a lot about the NCAA investigation last week. We really broke down the first week. I mean, there were news coming out just about the first seven full days of this story – whether it was the SEC and Big Ten coming together to form a, a, a joint committee, whether it was the responses or, or the call and response almost on both sides of the um, of the of the the court, if you will, here, 
Uh, a lot's gone on here in the last two weeks, but just a couple of updates for you. On Tuesday, it sounds like a, a, a circuit court judge denied Tennessee's request for a temporary restraining order that would last until February 13th. This would cover National Signing Day. Um, and, and I believe from everything that I've understood, that was the expected move. Is that kind of what you picked up on as well? or I don't really know if it was expected or not. I didn't know what would happen. Now maybe other people did. And I will say just as a clarification, this isn't the University of Tennessee. It's the state of Tennessee and the Commonwealth of Virginia. Right, so, right. Uh, obviously, it has a lot of implications on the University of Tennessee, and this whole thing is very much tied together. Uh, but this is with the only lawsuit, but that lawsuit being specifically not the University of Tennessee, but State of Tennessee and Commonwealth of Virginia. And there will be another hearing on it. Let me try to find what the exact term for it is. Uh, preliminary injunction on next, exactly a week from Tuesday when it happened on February 13th. It'll be a more long-term decision. This will be the more long-term of whether these NCA rules will be able to be enforced during the lawsuit, um, which is basically the exact same thing. It'll be the exact same judge, uh, Clifton Corker, up in Greenville that will hear it. Um, but not necessarily that the result of the first one will be the result of the second one. They're not necessarily sure. tied together. Um, but that one was just a... The one this week um, was done in the short term because of, like you said, Rick, because of National Signing Day, wanting to not ha have all that covered. And basically what Judge Corker said was that the state of Tennessee and Commonwealth of Virginia did not, did not put enough adequate proof that this, in, these NCA rules were going to be an issue uh, or were going to have real, or real, real harm to the student athletes and high schoolers uh, as they signed this week. So that's kind of where they came. I mean, the judge even said that, I think he used a word that was likely, uh, that he kind of sided with Tennessee and Virginia's yeah. case as a whole. Uh, he thought it was likely that the NCAA was, uh, you know, breaking federal antitrust laws, but Tennessee does not get that temporary restraining order, and they will try to find a little bit more proof next week, next Tuesday, uh, when they go back to – the same courthouse in Greenville. Yeah, I think that was well said right there. And again, you know, if you want to go and follow maybe some of the, uh, at least some of the legal brains that are thinking this thing over, Tom Mars, obviously on the Tennessee side of things on Twitter, he, he breaks things down. And again, obviously that one is, is a little bit more biased, but Dan Lust, another good one who, who has been sort of all over Tennessee Twitter, he, he's got a lot of good thoughts. But one of my big takeaways from just this whole week is that neither side is backing down at all. You know, there, there's been no sense of of slowing down. There's been a lot of shots taken on both sides. I mean, even going back to Sunday night, Jonathan Scrimetti responding to the NCAA's response to the lawsuit, you know, he, he said, quote, the NCAA apparently knows the meaning of Tennessee law better than Tennessee's attorney general. You know, so th there just has been some strong language on both sides and, and certainly doesn't seem like either side's backing down here as we get on through this first uh, first week, week and a half or so, week and some change. Definitely not. And I, you know, I don't, I think that's probably to be expected at this point. Like, the NCAA is kind of fighting for its life here. And on the other side, I mean, once Tennessee made its decision and, you know, there was going to be a lawsuit and they were really going to fight this thing tooth and nail, which we saw pretty immediately last week once Sports Illustrated's report came out. I mean, I think they've – they're all in. So I don't think there was going to be a whole lot of, of backing down from either side from – certainly Tennessee's made its decision and they're going all in at it and – the NCAA, again, kind of like I said, it's 
its back is very much against the wall just as an institution, and it, it has to fight for fight for itself and its kind of survival at this point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it just—it's fascinating to see sort of how this is unfolding. And uh, again, one of the more interesting things that I think I've taken away from this is just sort of what both sides are arguing. The the NCAA arguing. You know, and, and as Tennessee sort of tried to put it, they're trying to protect a world where NIL is not a factor in a player's decision to, to attend one particular school over another or a group of others. Uh, and Tennessee basically saying, hey, look, we've been living in a world, though, where these rules haven't really been applied. And it, it certainly sounds like the term Wild West, which we've used here on this podcast, people have used on Twitter, everybody's used to sort yeah. of describe this situation as a, a catch-all word. You know, even that is sort of being scrutinized in all of this, saying, okay, well, what actually does that mean? It's, it's been such a broad term. So I, I think that's been one of the other things is just to sort of get an idea on where both sides are thinking, but, but how they're both arguing this, how they're responding to each other. Uh, it, it's all been very interesting. Yeah, I think the thing that maybe stands out the most, and it, certainly I am no, no law expert, um, but from, you know, the NCAA's case and what they're saying, one of the big things they've said is, like, that these NIL rules that they're trying to fight against, that that, like, protects the competitive integrity of sport. It's like, what, what world are you living in? What <laughs> world are you – what are you watching the last two years where you think NIL has been bad for parity in the sport? Yeah. In right. the last two national championships, we had TCU and Washington playing in them. Has TCU ever played in a national championship? Or played in a, a, a game of that level that could possibly have national championship yeah. implications. Outside of like one season where they got snubbed, no. Yeah, in yeah. 2014. And Washington, you know, played in the Rose Bowl and I think maybe claimed the championship in like 92 or 93. And they made the playoff one time. Right. Um, but, you know, they got killed in that playoff game. So you're seeing more and more. And you're seeing five-star recruits get more deciphered out uh, and going to more than just Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State. And obviously those schools are still getting their fair share of guys. But And, and I think it's bringing back some old programs that used to be very relevant. Miami, yeah. Tennessee, Nebraska. Nebraska. Yep. Jeez. But, yeah, so <laughs> I, I agree with you. It's it, bringing more teams into the fold. Yeah, like I, I remember when it – and I was first to think, like have, there was the debate of, like, will this be good or be bad for parity? And – this was even, I don't know, back around Christmas, I was talking about it with someone. Like, before the stuff with the NCAA Tennessee case came up, I was like, yeah, no, it's definitively been good. Like, the best players are getting going to more and more schools. You know, Louisville's gotten a handful of five stars the yeah. last couple of years, and when would Louisville ever get five stars? And, um, and the teams that were dominating college football were in small towns, like Tuscaloosa, yeah. Clemson, Athens, you know? I mean – the big cities didn't have teams that were dominating. The USC's, the Miami's, they, those weren't at the top of college football ranks. So, No, and like certainly there's more factors than just NIL that have gone into this, but Alabama the last two years has been more gettable than they've been in the entire, at least since Nick Saban's first couple of years. And Georgia's probably been as, as dominant as any program. Boy, they've been pretty dominant. Alabama's been the only team that's beaten them. You've seen Michigan, and again, I don't think NIL is the biggest factor here, but you've seen Michigan overtake Ohio State for the first time in our lives, heck, in the Big Ten pecking order. And uh, again, you've just seen a bunch of different teams be competitive, a bunch of different teams be in the college football playoff race, um, and, and you've gotten away from the kind of mid to late 2000s where it was Clemson, and, or 2010s, I should say, where it was kind of Clemson and Alabama and everybody else in the sport. Right. Yeah, I think those are really interesting points. I, I do think that there is a little bit of separation uh, and, and I agree with you guys for the most part overall, but I do think that there is a little bit of separation. Uh, you know, a school like, you know, in Arkansas, Mississippi State football, like, I, I you know, I, I don't know if those are going to have the, 
the NIL resources to be, you know, on the same par. Whereas, you know, you, the other teams that were mentioned are sort of big booster type of schools, uh, Miami, Texas A&M, Tennessee. Yeah, so I, I do think that there is an interesting side to both points. But ultimately, I, I agree with you guys that, you know, the NCAA is still fighting a, a losing case right here. And a lot of the retroactive thoughts that they're trying to implement or at least go back and point to, uh, it's just kind of tough to wrap your brain around. So it's a really interesting conversation as we move forward. Um, but yeah, just a kind of a wild two weeks around here still. But it slowed down a little bit. It has slowed down a little bit. I mean, I think everybody, you kind of talked about it at the beginning, every, everybody who could possibly get a squeeze of the orange to get some good PR in the state of Tennessee out of supporting UT has, has done it. And yeah, that's, a, I think that's finally, a great point. I think we've finally gotten uh, maybe far enough away where everybody who could do it has already done it. So there's what, left sta- less statements. And what stuff. are the elections? That's what I want to know. Yeah, no, I, I do think there are politicians that, that oh, you know love Tennessee football and believe in the fight. But I also think there are a lot of politicians out there that, that understand that uh, their constituents are, are Tennessee football fans, and if they can be the guy that you know rallies for Tennessee football, that's a pretty good look. But it really has drawn just about every politician that I've seen out there, um, you know, join into the fight, even if it's with a, a very mildly worded letter. Um, it, it's like, well, they're throwing their name into the hat. I can't remember who I saw someone nationally say this. It might have been Andy Staples, um, but it's like. It being in Tennessee is the perfect way for that to happen too, because no one cares about Vanderbilt sports. Right? If this was in the yeah, state yeah. of Alabama with Alabama or Auburn, yeah, like people would want to. It'd be a little bit more touchy Philly or you know in Florida with uh, the big three schools there, Mississippi schools, Texas, uh, Texas, yeah. But Tennessee is you know the one state where obviously there is a second SEC team, but Vanderbilt being a private school, it has such a small fan base uh, that it's definitely you know. Very good for uh, PR for any of these people to, to back Tennessee and take a shot at the NCAA. Yeah, no doubt about it. We'll continue monitoring everything that's going on with the NCAA versus the state of Tennessee and the Commonwealth of Virginia as that continues to unfold. Uh, one thing that we did touch on a second ago was National Signing Day was yesterday. That would be February the 7th. No action for Tennessee. They got everything done in the early signing period. Uh, maybe a couple walk-on players or, yeah. or preferred walk-on signs. Chris from Brazil's younger brother, who you know is a walk-on. There you go. Uh, I know he signed yesterday after committing yeah. sometime there in early January after Chris did. There you go. So the, that's a it's a pretty good get if you get you know somebody's brother onto the team and a couple local guys as well. I believe I saw a player from Knoxville Catholic is is yeah. uh, walking onto the team. So. Couple local guys. Uh, that's always good stories, but not a lot of action for Tennessee. Is again, they got everything done in December. They got everything they needed to in the early signing period, so no drama. Um, Isn't it crazy how signing day has changed so oh, yeah. much? So much. I just, I mean, that yesterday is completely irrelevant, pretty much. Oh yeah, we didn't have. I didn't even see a lot of like not even from a Tennessee perspective. Just not a lot of social media buzz about There's it. No Nobody was really talking I mean, about it. It's like outside of, okay, Ryan Williams actually signed for Alabama. Like, yeah. they, they got him officially. You know, there is, there's no drama associated with it at all anymore. I mean, it's, it's just been crazy how quickly the calendars changed. And, you know, they went to the early signing period, and obviously everything got pushed up. And there would still be some people that would go into the January and sign in February. But really, there's not even – I mean, there's some. I'm not going to say there's none – there's really not even that much drama in December around the signing day. I mean, there wasn't really any for Tennessee this year. And, again, there is still some, uh, but it's a crazy world where really July is the big recruiting month in the yeah. college calendar now where 
it feels like there are just so, so many decisions in July, and that's where so many of the battles get won. And obviously still some decommitments, but I feel like you see less and less decommitments. At least if you make it to the fall and the coach at the school that you're at doesn't get fired, it feels very, very rare for someone to decommit where that might not have always been the case. Yeah, and I don't know if this is just me sort of thinking out loud here. Again, I've never been a Division One prospect. But let's just say I'm a four-star quarterback prospect, right? Uh, maybe I'm the low end of the four-star, but I'll give myself maybe do all four other quarterback. of them. No, he's Drew Brees. I, I can't be a receiver. Well, right? my, I don't have I, a lot of no, positions. You couldn't be a quarterback either. Channel your inner Brees. I was a quarterback on my intramural team. Yeah, come on. What are we doing? I can spin the ball a little bit. No, it's no, it's it's true. This guy can rip I it. I can't catch. Did you throw more or catch. less interceptions than Brian Maurer in intramural? <laughs> Tennessee intramural football. Oh, I think we might have been playing around the same years. Um, no. Because nah, he played one year, and that was like my last year in school, and you're such an old man. You're way, you're way oh, older than me. Is that right? Am I yeah. getting my time? The answer is less, though. You definitely All right. less. Less. Unofficially. Look, Unofficially. I could spin it a little bit. Okay. I, again, I can't catch. Okay. I can't play I, I my. I can't do nothing. I smirk. But I can spin it a little bit. Uh, if I'm a quarterback prospect... What do I really have to gain by stretching it out all the way till December 15th? If I'm a prospect, especially one who's going to get paid, wouldn't I probably rather go ahead and commit to that Buckeyes team and maybe start those conversations with the Buckeyes NIL collective? And uh, and I'm not I'm just using Ohio State because it was the first one that came to my mind. But anywhere you go, right? Again, this might just me be me thinking out loud, and you know maybe I don't have all the facts straight, but I, I don't really know what the advantage is anymore to you know, building up the drama. Like, like there used to be a little bit of an advantage, even if it was just from a being in the public eye standpoint. So uh, I think that it's just better to lock down your commitment these days. And obviously we still see some flips, but just try to start, you know, getting some momentum rolling for when you get there. I think that's the most advantageous thing you can do. I think the advantage would be what Jordan Seaton did and I guess K.J. Bolton did to a degree that we did commit to Florida State back in August. Is that the longer you draw it on, you just get the bidding war up from from these schools, and sure, you get you can get more and more money. I think that would be the advantage, um, but that's also exhausting. You know, having yeah. a, a recruitment go on that long, and I don't think most most players want that. Yeah, um, super quick because there's not a lot of football conversation going on. As we, obviously we're going to start ramping back up as the spring game gets closer and closer. Um, that is only right around the corner. It'll sort of be here before you know it. Uh, so not a lot of football conversation. We're going to move into basketball as basketball is now at the halfway point of conference play. But just super, super quick, 15 to 20 seconds. Anybody have a thought on Nick Saban joining the college game day team? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you not, don't really care? Um, Where are you on that? I, I felt like that was probably going to happen, so it wasn't a surprise or anything. I'm, I'm just curious to see the dynamic. And, you know, he and Pat got comfortable, and that was, that was a great move by ESPN to get them to have that relationship already set in kind of deal with him joining McAfee every Thursday. But I'm just interested to see the dynamic with all of them at the table and Saban in the mix and, you know, how much Corso is on the show next year. It, I feel like we're, you know, it's obviously going to be less and less as the years go on until it's nothing. But, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't say a ton of reaction to it. Um, not shocking, like Jack said. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, just how much. Surely they're not going to have a ton of time where everybody's on the set. I mean, that's just a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is a lot of So, people. how they divide that all up, all how all that looks uh, will be interesting. And 
I don't know. I feel like the dynamic with Herb Street and Saban will be the one that I'll be more interested to watch because Herb Street's such been the lead guy. Yeah, yeah. And that probably no, doesn't. I was saying, yeah, I wasn't trying to. Like, no, I didn't think, think you were. Too, just the whole, the whole thing. I didn't think you were. Um, and obviously, you probably still will be. Saban's very new to it, but it's also you know, it's Nick Saban. It's not like it's it's not like Urban Meyer who was a good, very highly successful, one of the best head coaches of his era, joining the Fox Show. This is the goat, the greatest coach of all time. So um, it'll be interesting. I will say, David Pollock got wrong so badly and I I missed him this past year on the show but seeing these Alabama fan pages talk about bring up that clip of when Pollock said Georgia is the class of college football the oh one of these people is on college game day now yeah. and the other is not it's like come on dude you guys yeah. you guys broke wrong. the 20 second guideline by the way my bad you shouldn't have brought it up you got to know yeah you got to know <laughs> that is true I watched so little of college game day last year that I, I, and not for any particular reason, just didn't get around to it, but I don't have a big opinion on this. Uh, talking about opinions, though, we do have some about Tennessee basketball. Ryan, halfway through the conference slate. Let's see, Tennessee is 17-5 and on the season so far, 7-2 seven, uh, and in conference play. Looking back at the first nine games of conference play, Tennessee has two ranked wins. Uh, that was over Ole Miss in the SEC opener, although they have fallen off a good bit. And then number 10, Kentucky, this past weekend in Rupp Arena. Only one loss in their last seven games. Tennessee had that big streak against Georgia, Florida, Alabama, and Vanderbilt. Uh, then fell to a, a skyrocketing South Carolina team. Bounced back with a win at Rupp against Kentucky. And then came back yesterday, last night, in Thompson Bowling Arena uh, and, and really put it on LSU. Now, there was a, a little bit of, uh, of, what's the word I'm looking for, um, there was a little bit of a dip there in that second half as the Tigers made a ferocious comeback, but Tennessee still ends up with a 20-point victory. Just, Ryan, from a broad overall perspective, is this team about where you thought they might be here at this halfway point of SEC play? What has sort of impressed you? Uh, just where do you think on that? I'll start my, just my first thought when you were going through that, and this wasn't answering your question at all, but it, it just shows how <laughs> pointless to AP poll is that Ole Miss is a ranked win and Alabama is, was not a ranked win, just how much better of a team Alabama is than Ole Miss in both those games being at home. Uh, to your question as a whole, yeah, I mean, I would have I said Tennessee's goal would have probably been to be 7-1, and one, but 6-2 and two was probably the most likely. Now, the, the you know the hardest game you would have looked at it would have been Kentucky on the road and they got one which I think makes the well I don't think it makes it more frustrating but the the Ole Miss or excuse me the South Carolina loss at home is real frustrating from just the standpoint if you win that game you're really in the driver's seat in the SEC race um, but when you talk about Tennessee as a whole I think the biggest thing you have to say is that the offense has been really good and that's largely because Dalton Connect's been even better than anybody expected and. I think it's easy to make light of that now as we are at the halfway point. He's been so good for eight games in a row for the most part. Um, but he was struggling. I mean, he was not very good offensively in December. And yeah. I, mean, I wrote in the kind of five, the starting five piece, uh, you know, takeaways and questions kind of for Tennessee entering SEC play. I was like, Tennessee needs, it's like, t my question was, t can Tennessee get 15 plus from Dalton Connect every single night? Well, Don Connect's averaging 27 points in SEC play, and he has one game, the very first game, he didn't score 15, and Tennessee rolled in that game, and every other game since he scored 20, and most of them, I don't, know, I don't have it in front of me, seven and a nine probably, he has 25. So he's been incredible. Tennessee's offense has been really, really good. Uh, they sit here at the time of 
this recording, 14th in Ken Palm adjusted offensive efficiency, averaging 80 points a game. Uh, Tennessee's offense is fully past the test of being a really good unit, and obviously they've had they're not completely immune to bad stretches and into a bad game like we saw against South Carolina, but it's a much much more well balanced team than really the last two years in particular, or the last few years in particular last season. Yeah, that's the biggest takeaway for me as well, is that Tennessee now finally sort of has that balance on both sides. They have the picture on both sides of the coin with a little bit of an offensive burst that Dalton Connect has brought, but certainly I think that's also elevated the play of some of the players around him, and that ultimately is one of the best signs of a good player across any sport is what they can do for the people around them. Dalton Connect has opened up Tennessee's offense. He's opened up the spacing, and there's been a lot of guys who have been feeding off of it uh, and in a beneficial way. One of those guys being Zakai Ziegler, who, who right now, especially after this two-game stretch with Kentucky and LSU, playing like one of the best point guards in the country. Had 13 assists against uh, Kentucky, which I believe was a career high. He's averaging 5.5 assists on the season so far. Rick Barnes talked about it the other day, and I thought it was such an interesting way that he put it. And, you know, one of the ways that I, I thought, you know, of course, that's how a longtime college basketball coach is going to see it. You know, but he talked about how when he would first sort of watch tape or watch film with Zakai Ziegler, he was looking straight ahead, right? It's almost like you were driving at night, and all you can see is what is in the road in the, the headlights in front of you. Now, though, he sees it at a bird's eye view. He sees the game from a top-level perspective. He knows where the other nine players are on the court, and he can sort of anticipate where those nine gears are going to shift at once. That sort of opened it up in my mind of, okay, that's being a point guard, right? That is dictating the, the control of the game, the flow of the game. And yes, sometimes I, I think he might get a little overzealous in his passing and try to force one here or there, but he's a playmaker at his core, and I think he's been terrific for Tennessee. Uh, and again, one of the players who has benefited uh, not only from Dalton Connect, but he's also one of the guys that, that has really stepped up when it was just the Dalton Connect show and Tennessee needed somebody to step up, uh, Zakai Ziegler has certainly been that guy over the last two games. Yeah, even you go back before that, South not South Carolina, Mississippi State and Georgia games. He was the other guy besides Dalton Connect that was really good at those games and showed up. And you're right, and I'll actually have a story on it, I don't know, probably around the start of the tournament. I actually did interviews for it last year on Sakai Ziegler's evolution of being a point guard, and then obviously he gets injured and slow start to this year. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm targeting. But I'll hit a lot of that stuff, and it is fascinating to see because he, he wasn't a point guard. You know, he's five foot nine, so he probably always played as yeah. the point guard spot. <laughs> Um, but I remember in our conversation last year, he talked a lot about, you know, you grow up playing on the, you know, outside in the streets in New York City. Like, you, no one cares about assists and stuff like that. It's about scoring. Those are the guys who get picked up and get, get to keep on playing. So, it, it is kind of crazy. And a lot of it, it does help that he plays Dalton Connect. Um, but just how much better he's gotten in an offseason that he missed basically the, the entirety of it. With a torn ACL and, you know, through an SEC play only, he's averaging 14.6 points and seven assists a game. So, He's been fantastic. Um, he's got 21 steals in there too, so about a little over two steals a game as well. So uh, he's he's been, I think, definitely the the number two guy for this Tennessee team, and uh, it's it's fun to watch him play when he's when he's got it going. And certainly, he's been really fantastic these last two games, and really was in those those two other games I mentioned as well, and kind of slowed down a little bit. South Carolina game is probably the only game you'd say he played poorly in, uh, but it does feel like he's kind of getting back into his rhythm. So one of the other guys that I want to I want to talk about, and certainly when you when you sort of go off of that, um, getting elevated by the play of teammates, when you've got two guys who can really handle the ball 
and they're being successful. A lot of the time, it's because there's a big man who's also being successful with them, right? Being able to run that pick and roll game. Uh, Jonas Adu, for a large stretch of, let's talk about the beginning of SEC play. He scores 24 against Ole Miss, 9 against Mississippi State, 10 against Georgia, 19 against Florida, and then 19 against Alabama. A terrific five-game stretch where you know he, he's shooting well over 50% from the floor. Um, he, he, he was doing a lot of really good things for Tennessee and helping Tennessee open up the space a little bit. I don't want to say necessarily uh, trailed off a little bit here in these last four games. Uh, nine points against Vanderbilt, six against South Carolina, 11 against Kentucky, and 10 against LSU. So still finding double digits against those latter two opponents and had double doubles in two out of those four games. But what have you thought about just sort of where Jonas Adu is right now? Rick Barnes talked about it a little bit, and I don't think that Jonas Adu is is at the level of where these other were maybe, but he just said, hey, look, Jordan Ganey went through a little bit of a slump earlier in the year. Yeah. Now he's playing Josiah. better. Josiah Jordan-James went through a little bit of a, a slump early in the year. Then he goes and scores a career high against Kentucky in a perfect game against LSU. Is Jonas Adu just kind of that, that next guy who, who's going through a little bit of a slump right now just after a really productive five-game stretch to start out the conference slate? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, I definitely think he's been a little bit worse scoring around the rim, at least on the contested stuff. Um, so I thought, yeah, I thought that was an interesting perspective that Barnes had on it. And talking about it, kind of big men can have that, that same type of struggle. And, and, you know, I guess I'd say I'd agree with your assessment. And the other thing I'd say is how, while he has struggled offensively maybe the last couple of games, he's been still just so good protecting, protecting the paint defensively. Three blocks last night, three blocks at Kentucky, two blocks against South Carolina and Vandy, four blocks against Alabama. Like, he's just been, you know, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy because you talk about how he's not great – being the primary defender on you know real physical, strong, skilled big men um, because he's so slender. But man, when it comes to playing help defense and protecting the rim against guards, I mean he's about as good as anybody in the SEC. So you're seeing that, um, and, and no, I definitely think that's a that's a pretty fair assessment. You know, Adu is averaging nearly two blocks per game and nearly one steal per game. If your you know six foot eleven big man is getting you nearly three extra possessions a game. Yeah, it's not a a bad place to be. And it's over two blocks a game in SEC play. And I think even the thing that you kind of alluded to this too, with the numbers not being bad, it's like even in these games where he hasn't played great offensively, besides the South Carolina one, he was pretty pretty terrible in that game on offense. But the other ones, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, LSU, it's like he still is able to do what it felt like for the last three years we've just been begging Tennessee big men to do, which is just catch the ball near the basket and dunk it when – you're open, or there's a little bit of tight space, and it just felt like Tennessee had no one that could do that. And uh, he just he still scores the easy ones for the most part, um, and that's you know that's how you could score nine, ten, eleven points in games that you're you're maybe not just completely on offensively. Yeah, um, let's keep going sort of down this basketball list. Uh, Santiago Vescovi, Rick Barnes has talked in the last couple games about how his unselfless play is helping, or excuse me, is unselfish play has been helping Tennessee taking uh, he's passing up a couple shots every every once in a while here and there but uh, I think that's something that they're certainly talking to him about and and again he you know he loves the slashing game the cutting game the screening game Uh, so he's such a dynamic player on the court that save he had last night for the fast break phenomenal that was crazy elite basketball we couldn't we couldn't see it we had the the goal blocking us and the crowd kind of went crazy so it's kind of like I kind of asked Rick did you see what happened there I I saw on stat broadcast that he had to steal, and then I didn't see until 
the Tennessee account tweeted it out what it actually was. That was a crazy play. Yeah, that that was nasty. And then that that hustle play he had against Kentucky as well that led to mm-hmm. the yeah. Cam Carr to, to Jonas Adu, uh not Jonas Adu, Josiah Dunk. Uh, another really <laughs> just not not for the same reasons, but another really impressive play. He had a, he had a couple plays like that, and you know one where it was like. Kentucky, I can't remember who it was, but Kentucky guy like 100% had rebounding position over Tennessee's big, and the ball kind of went to the baseline on the, the rebound. It looked like Kentucky was certainly going to get it, and he runs over there, jumps it, or grabs it, jumps out of bounds, and fires a pass inbounds to Dalton Connect. He made a couple plays like that where it's just – so, you know, it's one rebound on the stat, stat sheet, and it doesn't show up as maybe being huge, but it's just an impressive play. And I'll loop actually those two guys together, Vesco and Josiah Jordan-James. Stilling a thought that my brother had last night, texted me after the game. Would have told you at the end of last season, Santiago Vescovi and Josiah Jordan James were both going to come back. In an SEC game, Tennessee would score, would win by 20 points. They would score 88 points in the win. So it wasn't like they just suffocated the other right. team with defense. Those two guys combined to take six shots. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And for the most part, it was a double-digit game. Again, there, there, oh, was a, yeah. there was a time or two where they got – there was one time really where they got beneath eight, but for the most part it was Tennessee dog walking LSU. Yeah, double-digit lead for over 35 minutes of the game. Right. Um, it would have been hard thing. to believe, but for the first and foremost, just because you're saying Josiah Jordan-James was back, a lot of what he's done this season, and again, I know there's there's been a, a good bit of it where he was in a slump, but a lot of what he's done this season has, has just – it's been something that's really been fascinating or, or just kind of makes you think because, again, nobody really expected him to come back for this year. No. And with Josiah, fighting back on some of the criticism Josiah gets, and like I, he's an inconsistent offense player. I get that. That's been pretty clear in most of his Tennessee career. But I see a lot of people complaining about it when he scores four points and Tennessee wins, scoring 80 points. When Josiah came back, that was the thing, the point that I made. It was like, what should be good about this is if these Dalton Connect and Jordan Ganey and Freddie DeLeon would have been thrown into that list too, and obviously he hasn't. It was like, if these guys pan out the way Tennessee wants, then you don't need the offense from Josiah. And when he has good offensive games, it's gravy. And if people want to criticize Josiah when he takes two shots and Tennessee scores whatever it was, 60 points and loses uh, against South Carolina, 59 points and loses against South Carolina, that I get but when, ten- when he takes three shots and scores four points or whatever, and Tennessee scores 85 points and wins, it's like, what are you complaining about? Like, that's him playing his role. Like, Tennessee doesn't need him to score. He's not – He's he can be on any given night, like we saw against Kentucky, one of Tennessee's best scorers, or like we saw against NC State earlier in the year. But as a whole, he's not one of Tennessee's best scorers. And that's what you've got to like about his role this year is they don't need that from him. So – I don't know. I don't get the complaints about him not being aggressive when he's deferring to other guys in Tennessee's offense is having success and winning. Like that's that to me that that those complaints, those criticisms, when they to me they fall on deaf ears for me. I don't I don't understand that. Ah, that was really well said. Yeah. No, I, I think you're I think you're you're spot on there. And um, again, I, just thinking about this season, Josiah Jordan James is not one of ten, uh, is not one of the guys that has to score for Tennessee to win especially now that you've seen Jordan Ganey sort of come out of his slump a little bit. But at the same time, he was still able to give you a a huge game against Kentucky when Tennessee really needed it. He was able to give you a perfect game last night against LSU. And and again, I believe that was only three or four shots in the night, but he sunk them all and he did what he needed to do otherwise to be an effective offensive player and to to get other guys open. There's a reason why from a scoring perspective, on this show we talked about Dalton Connect 
and then Zakai Ziegler, and then Jonas Adu, Jordan Ganey a little bit in there, before we're talking about Josiah scoring, because ultimately those are the guys who, who score more. So uh, I think you're spot on there, and uh, Josiah's been able to give Tennessee some some really good minutes and some good play here this season. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you know, there hasn't been games where he's deserved to be critical of. And sure. I, I'm looking at the list now. Mississippi State game, he goes 1-8. And scores three points like that. Yeah, that's he's taking a lot of shots. He's not making them. Tennessee, yeah. Tennessee loses. It's a Georgia game. Tennessee wins, but he goes two and nine. And I thought let his offense affect his defense and other things on the court, which is what you can't do. Which you know would go against my point. And obviously the South Carolina game, Tennessee's whole offense scores. But I see a lot of people criticizing him after he takes three shots against Florida and scores three points, and Tennessee scores eighty five and wins by nineteen. Or an Alabama game, he scores one point when he's out there playing with one hundred two degree fever. And Tennessee scores 91 points, or even South, or even Vanderbilt. He takes two shots. Tennessee scores 75 points in a low possession game. I think scored about 1.3 points per possession. That's kind of those are the games I get. At. Certainly, there has been games where he's been bad and he's been deserving of criticism. Uh, but I don't think it's as loud. Or criticism deserves to be as loud as it has been at times. Even even when he wasn't scoring and he wasn't a slump. Uh, yeah, and Vescovy is a little bit different too because I think Vescovy just his offense is his shooting provides another threat. I'd like to see him be a little bit more aggressive. Um, I do feel like he's turned down turned down a lot of shots that he shouldn't, and Tennessee would be better off with him taking. Um, but again, I think that's kind of a balancing act, and he's an extremely unselfish player. Wants to get other guys involved, and Rod Clark talked about it after I asked him about it. I guess it was after the Vanderbilt game, if he was like, "Yeah, there were two times I can think where I wanted to shoot it," and then he. Drove in and scored at the basket one and got somebody a three. And then last night, it, I felt like it was the most shots he turned yeah. down all year. And there was one instance where I, you could literally hear the entire arena yell, shoot, when he pump faked. <laughs> and he drove in and got an and one. He still got the, yeah. the three points. Yeah. We turned to each other at that exact moment. We said, he heard that, that unanimous That was crazy. It, you really it did hear the like whole it, arena go, oh. I even felt like you heard the whole arena go, shoot. Like, I thought I heard a literal yeah. shoot in there. I think I did, too. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's again his is his is an interesting case of him trying to find what's his best fit and what how, how he can best help this team offensively. Um, but I do think he can be a little bit aggressive, more aggressive offensively. But certainly what he did at Kentucky was you know brilliant and taking four shots and scoring eleven points and and just doing a ton of other things really really well. Let's broaden this thing out a little bit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna explain this. So stick with me, Tennessee right now. Tied, or excuse me, not tied, but in second place in the SEC. However, there is a three-way tie at first place. South Carolina, Auburn, and Alabama are all 8-2 and two in conference play. Tennessee is 7-2 and two in conference play, so just a half game back as those three teams have all played one more game than Tennessee. The Vols have, uh, what is this, about eight, nine games left nine on the schedule. Left, yep. Five are going to be on, there you go, five are going to be on the road, four are going to be at home. Again, Tennessee trailing Alabama, who they have beaten, Auburn, who they have not played, and South Carolina, who they do have one loss to. The road games coming up, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Alabama, and South Carolina, and Missouri. The home games, and not that order, I messed it up, but... The home games are going to be Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, Auburn, and Kentucky to close out the regular season. That one was in order as I read it correctly. So <laughs> what do we kind of think about where this stretch of the SEC is going to be, Ryan? Well, you mentioned it a little bit ago. Uh, maybe that South Carolina loss in particular 
you know, just having two losses, I should say, in conference play so far, it hurts Tennessee's, you know. Uh, well, South Carolina, no, it's, to me, it's specifically to South okay, Carolina. Okay, specifically South Carolina. Because you lose at home. Tennessee would be in the driver's seat right now if, if that was not a loss with only one conference loss in the season so far. So, again, they, they're tied with three other teams with two conference losses, one game back from just a wins perspective. How do you think this thing sort of start to shape out over the last month or so of play? Well, I'll go. I'll give you the Bart Torvik numbers. Thank you. The analytics. Who? Bart Torvik, another analytical site. Thank um, you. He has 50, 50, Auburn having a 56% chance to get a share of the title with a 30% chance to win outright. Tennessee in second with 40% and 19.6 to win outright. Alabama at 37% of share, 16 outright. And in South Carolina, he is way down at a 6.2% of a share and a 1.5% chance to win. So uh, everybody else less than 1% chance to win the title. So that's kind of what the general numbers say. I would give Auburn the edge. I think a huge, huge mammoth game, two mammoth games in the SEC title race this Saturday. Auburn goes to A&M. Excuse me, Auburn goes to Florida. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Tennessee goes to A&M. Auburn, it's one day of three road games left in SEC play. And Ooh. the other two, or maybe four games left. The other, I think it's four. The other are Georgia, Tennessee, and maybe Arkansas. Somebody, maybe not, it's not Arkansas, they've played them. Maybe Missouri. Someone you 100% expect them to beat. So you, you think Tennessee can beat them. Um, and Auburn has some hard games at home, but I, I just don't think they'll lose. They've, they don't play Tennessee at home, and they've already beaten Alabama at home, so those games are against Kentucky and South Carolina. So to me, that's a massive game. And then on the other side of it, you look at Tennessee. You look at Tennessee's next five games. Tennessee wants to win the SEC. They, yes. need, to, they need to win the next five. And 100%. The hardest game of that is that Saturday night against Texas A&M, an A&M team that isn't as good as we maybe expected going into the year, but finds themselves on the bu- bubble, desperate for a win, going to be tough at home. Those next four games are at Arkansas, Vanderbilt at home, at Missouri, A&M at home. You really expect to win those other four. If you can do that, that would put Tennessee, what, at 12-2, and two, an SEC play heading into the Final Four in an incredibly, incredibly difficult Final Four where they get yeah you you read it I'm talking too much you have so. a gauntlet yeah. to end the season Tennessee has three straight games against the three teams that are ahead of them in the rankings uh, Tennessee takes on uh, let's see they they will host Auburn on the last game of February then they go to Alabama. Then they go to South Carolina for a night game, but all three of those being night games. And then Tennessee closes the season home against Kentucky, a team that is obviously going to be upset that Tennessee came in there and won in their house just about a month previously. So Tennessee is an absolute gauntlet in the final four games. Again, the three teams that are above them in the rankings, and then Kentucky, who is one spot behind them in the rankings. That's about as tough as it gets. It definitely is. I mean, I, I literally don't think it could get tougher. And You're I, playing the four teams that are around you in the top five. And I do think that Tennessee, you know, if they want to get a share, I think a 14-4 and four will, would probably get them a share. And so if you could win out going into that, then you just have to split those two games or split those four games, and then it kind of gives you a chance. You can go out, and if you can go out and win three of them, if you can, can – Win on your home court and then go still yeah. win at Alabama and South Carolina. That gives you a chance to go 15-3 and three and win it outright. So, to me, that's the goal. Uh, that's uh, the main thing that you've got to point to. Um, and, you know, one thing I'll say to that, to that point of it is a brutal finish. But the SEC really, they schedule it to try to make the best teams playing each other a lot in the last two or three weeks to have the conference race 
what becomes a really brutal break for Tennessee is that South Carolina was picked 14th in the SEC. <laughs> yeah. And that was the one game that was supposed to be like your reprieve in there uh, of getting an easy game. And then on the other end, with you know, I think Alabama and Auburn both play them late in the year. Arkansas was supposed to be good, so they have late season games uh, against Auburn and Alabama. Well, now Arkansas is one of the worst teams in the league. Really, those two teams, South Carolina and Auburn, have basically completely flipped of what you, excuse me, Arkansas and South Carolina have completely flipped of what you expected them to be. So that's kind of a tough break for Tennessee from a finishing standpoint, but that's where you got to make your hay. You leave Kentucky, you had the LSU game last night, uh, and then five more that you really should win. A&M is really the only one that you'll be less than a six-point favorite in. I mean, really, all those other games, I bet Tennessee will be double-digit favorites. Maybe not Arkansas, but it'll be close to double digits. Um, so that's kind of what you circle, and that's kind of the main thing you, you emphasize. And again, those final four teams on Tennessee's schedule, looking at the February 5th AP rankings, it's number 12, number 16, number 15, and number 17 all in a row. Again, the Alabama and South Carolina games in the middle are both going to be on the road. But, you know, as much as we talk about how what those last four games could look like, it won't really matter as much if Tennessee doesn't handle business in the five on the way there. Like Ryan said, the, the, the Saturday night game at Texas A&M, that one's going to be rocking. I actually have family members who are going to be at that one. They were telling me there about ticket prices. Ticket prices are through the roof. People are excited for Tennessee to come into that game. Uh, Tennessee's got to take on A&M twice in that span. Uh, and then I don't have a, a lot of fear against Vanderbilt or Missouri. And I really don't about Arkansas either. But that's a 9 p.m. tip-off in Fayetteville on a Wednesday night, on Valentine's Day, actually. I don't know, just could kind of spell one of those types of games. So Tennessee's really got to handle business in these next five so that they can set themselves up well in the final four because that's just going to be an incredible stretch. I mean, really, once you get to the end of February until whenever Tennessee finishes this season in the tournament, it's pretty much going to be marquee game after marquee game uh, except maybe barring the, the first round of the tournament or so. I mean, it's just going to be good team after good team after good team. Kind of like how they started the season to an extent. Yeah, no, you're right. It will be. And uh, it makes it, you know, a big challenge. But at the same time, that's kind of what – that's what you hope for when you talk about uh, playing meaningful championship-level basketball once the calendar turns to March because that's what all of Tennessee's games will really be at that point. No doubt about it. And again, all eyes are going to be on Dalton Connect as, as he slows down a little bit from his 190-whatever point scoring stretch. He, he's still been terrific. Had 27 points, I think, against uh, LSU on, on Wednesday. And as Ryan said in the RTI postgame show, it was a weird, quiet 27. But he, did, he had a lot of a complete game. Uh, but of course, the, the national media is, is zeroed in on... Uh, don't connect. We didn't get to watch the broadcast, so I don't know what it looked like. But SEC Network was filming Tennessee's practice on Wednesday, or excuse me, on Tuesday, and their cameras were just locked in on Dalton the entire time, no matter what he was doing on the court. So a lot of people have a lot of interest in Don't Connect. We will keep you updated along the way. Uh, but again, Tennessee heads to College Station coming up this weekend. We will not be there, but that doesn't mean we won't have coverage. We will have extensive coverage, as we always do, over on RockyTopInsider.com and on social media. So again, Tennessee gets a, a Tennessee set up for a big one here in the start of the final nine games of the regular season. No doubt. I mean, I... I don't know what you're talking about, those cameras being locked in and don't connect. I thought they were locked in in our media Toby game, version of Pig game, honoring Toby Keith on his, you know, rest <laughs> oh, of the piece, that in is which true. I won. If they're not, that is true. If they're not cowards, they'll show me hitting some shots to win that media 
media pig game, uh, media Toby game before uh, before our practice. Well, I, I do wonder where their footage went because I remember hitting a shot and then walking over to the camera <laughs> and doing the John Cena, you can't see me, right to it. So hopefully they're recording. Uh, let's close this out with this real quick. Jack, funny story from yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan and I are sitting in our media seats. It's about halfway through the game or so, maybe sometime in the second right half. It's right at the start of the second Right at the start of the second half because the people are heading back into their seats. And Ryan and I see two gentlemen walking up the stairs, and one of the guys is wearing an LSU hoodie. Okay. But it's a little bit shorter than his shirt, so his shirt's hanging out, and he had a Tennessee orange shirt on. And I look at Ryan, and I was like, look, I think he's going for both teams. He's got that orange shirt on. Ryan was like, are you colorblind? That's yellow. He's just wearing an LSU shirt. And I was like... Okay. No, I was like, I know, I know my oranges. I, I know that's an orange. That's that's it's kind of ridiculous that that you might even call that yellow. And Ryan took that offensively. He was mm. like, he was like, fine, if you want to play this game, I'll play this game. So we made a twenty dollar bet right then and there about yep. what color shirt this guy was. What if his shirt was an LSU shirt or a Tennessee shirt? If his shirt was an LSU shirt, ended up mattering a, a good deal. Which okay. ended up okay. uh, so you a, tracked him down at Tennessee. Yes. So all of a sudden, the next time I went, comes, I went and talked to him. And, and Ryan's like, "All right, I'm going to go talk to him." I was so confident. Me? You got to remember this too. There's a, the massive flaw in Rick's logic. Tennessee this is was. up up by 23 points at halftime, and he thinks some dude that's rooting for both Tennessee and LSU would still have his LSU gear on. He would have flipped point. at that point. Yes, he would have. So I don't think that Ryan's going to do anything about it. I'm just thinking that he, you know, he's talking a big game. I might have rattled him a little bit in the moment by, by going in on the take. And sure enough, the timeout comes and he looks right at me. He's like, all right, I'm going. Are we doing this? Because we've already shooken on it. I, go, ah, I guess so. Ryan pops out of his seat. Sure enough, walks across, goes up the stairs, talks to the guy. And I'm seeing him kind of like making some animated movement with his hands. <laughs> and the, the moves that he was making... I stood up in my in my seat and I was like, I won. I did it sideways. I did it. Thumb. I thought he was giving me the thumbs. I thought you were like pointing at me. So like you won. So Ryan comes back and you can explain it from there. We'll get your thoughts on how this shook out. Yeah. So I went up and asked him and he said Again, a twenty dollar bet. He said that it was a yellow Nike shirt, but it was not an LSU shirt. Uh, so we I being you know. I'm not gonna say it, but if someone wants to give me the good guy of the year award, you want I think it'd be fair. It, but it wasn't an LSU shirt, so I didn't make Rick pay the money. But I did tell him, I did say, just know that we both know that I was right. Yeah, you won on a technicality. You won so, on a technicality. So I, but fully, I, was right. I fully admitted that I was wrong on the color of the shirt. I I accepted the moral loss. Mm-hmm. But I did feel like I escaped by not having to pay the financial loss because technically, it, you know, it wasn't an LSU shirt. Yeah, y'all sure so made I the got bet. By orange or yellow? Yeah. I just, just but I guess there's, and yeah, I guess there's no way to really prove that though because people see colors different ways. And, and that is what's kind to of what, say he's he's not gonna think it's orange or he's not gonna think it's yellow? And I will That's say, true because I will tell you right now, it, it was orange. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> It it wasn't orange, it was but it wasn't orange. it wasn't unbelievable to think it was orange. I will say that. All right, thank you. Um, it was more just the context because when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, maybe like that could be a, a light shade of orange. Certainly, there's a lot of shades of orange in that arena. 
And then the context, I started thinking about the context clues, and I was like, there's absolutely no way this is a Tennessee shirt. Because this, like, this would be an incredibly light orange shirt yeah. for a guy to be rooting for both teams and to still be repping yeah. LSU down 23 at halftime. So, Ryan letting me off the hook, do you call it fair or foul? I would have made you pay me. <laughs> Again, <laughs> people, people want to give me the good guy of the year award. I would have said, I'd say, give me Tim. Good bucks. guy of the year. This guy. I'd say, give me Tim. Bucks. This guy. Oh, oh that would have been dirty. <laughs> that would have been dirty. So that was a fair result. Well, I'll say thank you, and, and maybe I'll get you a uh, a Dos Bros, not sponsored, oh, but I'll get you nice. a Dos Bros at some point. Best place uh, in Knoxville. Anyways, all right, my friends. Well, we're, we're jumping up on an hour, so what do you say we wrap this thing up again? We'll be back next week as usual to break down the latest in Tennessee athletics. We will talk about whatever's going on in the football world as we continue the climb to spring practices. Uh, of course, basketball going on right now. We'll talk about the, the Texas A&M game. And then, oh, man, put me in, Coach. I'm ready to play in center field. Baseball season right yeah. around the corner. Just like what? I mean, two weeks away, Tennessee baseball heading to the World Champions Ballpark. That's right. Let me say it again. The World Champions Ballpark. To start out the season, they got a three-game tournament uh, or or just three-game set against Baylor, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech, I believe. It's going to be in Globe Life Field. Tony Vitello's Vols are are pretty much uh, consensusly – is that a word? Consens- consensusly, yeah. Consensusly? Yeah. In the top 10 of preseason rankings, One ranking's got him at 11. All right, but one's the got him at 11. They've got to be girls. that guy. So yeah. it's not consensus. Uh, that might actually be better Near for consensus. my vocab. Near consensus. So uh, <laughs> a lot of excitement going on in baseball, and I'll tell you right now that Ryan and Jack are the two best people to follow on the beat for baseball coverage. Uh, they're going to be completely locked in. We're going to have a lot of coverage for baseball season from a written perspective, from an audio perspective, from a photography perspective. We're going to be covering the whole thing as we get a little bit of nice weather here in Knoxville. So if you're ready for baseball, like I know these guys are, make sure you're locking into Rocky Top Insider and locking in to Ryan on Twitter, at rshump00, and Jack on Twitter, at Jack Foster Media, because there's going to be some good content coming out here in just a couple weeks. That's right. And our preview pod drops tomorrow. Let's go. That's right. Wow. Have you already recorded it? Nope. We were discussing this. Maybe we weren't discussing it. Maybe it was an individual texting me and Jack. We're recording it right after this. Really? I thought we discussed this in a group, but maybe Jack and I just discussed it separately. Wow, we'll fantastic. Okay. That's going to be on the way. That's going to be really exciting to, to look for. So uh, if you've made it to the end, make sure you're adding that to your docket as well. But we're going to go ahead and wrap this thing up. Of course, I just mentioned those two guys on social media. Go ahead and give them a follow. If you want to follow Rocky Top Insider, you can do that at Rocky Top Insider on all different social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. If you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. Uh, but hey, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. We will see you back for the next one. For Jack Foster, for Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. It's been the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast.